listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Uh, today, we are thoroughly excited to bring oh, you goodness. day 51 and day 52 of our read through the Bible in a year. Um, <laughs> these chapters of Exodus are breaking down the, the requirement, like God is giving... Moses, on top of Mount Sinai, uh-huh. he's giving him the plans. Yes. Like, here is exactly how you create my temple, my tabernacle. Here is the, the parts that make up the tabernacle. And this is extremely important that you do it because this is the only way uh, at this point in time that God can meet with his people, speak to them, forgive them, love them, be with them, protect them, um, and set them up as a kingdom of priests and a blessing to all nations and to save the world. Yes. And so typically, when reading through the Bible, we, we kind of, this is not story time. Right. This is like architectural sit down, here's the plans. Yes. But this time around, I think it's safe to say, Matt, that you and I are as giddy <laughs> as two eight-year-olds on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and it's because reading through this... Uh, we get the benefit of reading the law and what God is saying to Moses through the lens of Christ. Yes. And it is absolutely amazing. Like, you know, it's like when you think you know a lot, you come to these passages and you realize, I know nothing. Yes. And everything is too great for me to even know. So let's get into it, though. I'm, I'm just so excited. And believe it or not, I'm excited about things like the bronze altar, All right. the court of so, the tabernacle, the oil for the lamp. Our reading for today oh. is Exodus chapter 27 through chapter 30. So in our last episode, we were discussing the uh, construction mm-hmm. of the tabernacle itself. Yeah. And now we are kind of moving to the uh, furniture of the tabernacle yeah. and the outer uh, uh, court, the outer court. Have you ever gone to Ikea and you get a little overwhelmed by all the cool solutions to your house? <laughs> yeah, multiply that by a million because we are walking into the eternal, everlasting, most holy furniture store on the planet. Oh, man. It's just so packed. But we gotta, we just okay, got to tell so, them what's going on. So the first thing I, I do want to point out as like a flow to kind of put in your mind, um, you have the tabernacle, which is uh, separated into two parts. You have the... Holy of Holies, mm-hmm. and the holy place, and then you have the outer court, which is separated by uh, its own little curtain. Yeah. Um, and then within that outer court, you have some of the altars and implements in there. But I, I thought it was cool that when you move from the outer court to the inner court, the implements go from bronze, silver, to gold. To just, yeah. as a physical representation of you are moving from a holy place to a more holy place right as you push in and it's incredibly beautiful yes okay okay so let's start with the bronze altar bronze altar so this is going to be the altar where things are burned there's uh pots for ashes there's shovels like think about your grill at home and all Mm -hmm. the little accoutrements that go along with grilling and all the cleaning up the tongs the forks the fire pans and it is all about sacrifice yeah, so the bronze altar is like a sizable altar that's in the outer court that the people, this is where the people would bring their offerings to burn. 
and, uh, for their sin. And they're sacrificed, and so there's horns on it. And this is where you might read later where people go in and grab the horns yeah. because this is where uh, the blood is applied. Like they're going to see blood cleansing their sin. Yeah, so the horns, like on a practical note, are it's that's where the wood would be held or you would tie an animal between the horns so you could sacrifice it. So the horns are serving as like a practical feature of the altar. Um, and then we'll, we'll come back to that in chapters... Uh, I think 30 or 29. So 29, yeah. But then there's, so we're just kind of putting, giving you the pieces right now. So mm-hmm. the, the tabernacle court is intended for the people, so the no, kind of the normal... Like the leaders of the, leaders, of the yeah. tribes would come here to offer up a representative sacrifice for the people. So this is like on Mount Sinai where the, the elders went up a little higher mm-hmm. and got to have a meal with God. Right. But this is a place where the presence of God would be. And God sets, remember, God sets limits and boundaries because he cares for us. You can't get too close to the sun. You can't right. get too close to things that will destroy you. Mm-hmm. So there's this, this temple court, and, um, and it has, again, it's filled with beautiful blue, purple, scarlet yarns, fine twined linen embroidered with needlework. Like, God cares, and it is all majestic looking. Mm-hmm. Then you have the oil for the lamp. There's going to be lamps which that would burn all night. That would burn all the time. And I was thinking about it as it's a very like a practical and uh, inviting thing. So like you always have a lamp on in the temple as a way like you don't know what time you're going to need to meet with God. Right. And so like even in the middle of the night, God is available oh, for he, his people. Yeah, he never and sleeps. For the priests. And he, so it's always on, it's always burning, and you can all like a priest can always approach God in the temple. And then um, so 27, 28, just kind of marking out the things you need. Then you have to have the priests need to be clothed. Clothed in a particular way. Oh man. And it's quite plainly, God says it's for glory and for beauty. That God cares about the beauty of things. He cares about, you know, the our little project runways, where we create beautiful garments. And that that's, uh, it's, he even gives the spirit of skill to people to yeah, make these. Yeah, that was that's cool. What, I saw me, that. It made I me think that. of yeah. project runway. But he says, here's the things that the 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 priests are going to have to wear: the breastplate, mm. the ephod, which is like a vest. You got a robe. You got a coat with like this checker work mm-hmm. of uh, it's like weaved. And then there's this beautiful idea of a turban. Mm-hmm. And then on, on the um, kind of the whole robe and everything, you're going to have two stones. And on each stone are going to be six, six of the tribe of Israel, six sons of Israel. Yeah, so you have, the two, you have the two onyx stones on the mm-hmm. shoulders of the, of the high priest. And he bears the weight, the responsibility of the tribes on his shoulders. So we have that. And yeah. then the next section of jewelry is on the... The breastplate, which is, do you know? Do you want to say? No, I don't. Oh, I was okay. looking. Yeah, so then, yeah, so you have the stones on the shoulders, and then you have on the chest plate the different stones that represent the individual oh, tribes. that's it. I was looking right there. And that's yeah. on the heart, of, that he carries that on the heart. So he carries the responsibility of the people on his shoulders. Then he carries the people on his chest, on his heart. And what I read about those stones, they're all precious stones. Yeah. They're and, treasures. And they each represent so, the tribe. And can you imagine? So the priest goes in before God, carrying the people, the uh, tribes, which represent the people, yeah. on his shoulders. But then they are his treasured possession. And remember, some of these sons, like Reuben, 
was not right. like a great person, no. but he is a son. He is a son of Israel, mm-hmm. and so he treasures them. And so, like I always think, we are under that. And so, our names, the priest goes before God, carrying on his shoulders and on his heart, and then on his forehead, yes. the turban. Your the the priest would have this plate that had the inscription. Yeah, it was a gold plate that was on their forehead. And what did it say? It said, uh, "Holy to the Lord." Yeah, and it was said that that carried the sin of the people yeah. before the Lord. And this was what I was thinking. So you have the responsibility of the people on the shoulders. Of, yeah. Then you have, they're my treasured possession. I carry the heart. My heart is towards these people. And then the sin is on the forehead, which to me, I was just, and this could be me getting a little creative here, but I was thinking about it, how it is, sin is like in our minds. Right. Like it is... In our thoughts. Well, it's a purity of purification of our thoughts, thoughts. in our intentions. Like, Lord, purify my mind. I'm pr- representing these people to you. They're your treasure. I want to hold them before you. I want to mm-hmm. fight for them. I want to protect them. I want to feed them and keep my thoughts from turning against them in their sin. I'm also handling their sin. Yeah. And so I was realizing, like, this is where, like, Jesus, when he breaks down the law and says, uh. even if you think about another woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you are angry at another person you've committed murder in your right. heart and like so even here we are seeing like this safeguard holy to the lord our thoughts are holy to the lord and being purified in this very early ritual and don't forget the plan of all this is to make a kingdom of priests like mm-hmm. we are the people who carry each other on our hearts and our shoulders and that's why our thoughts even are important yeah we have to see one another as holy to the lord uh I could, I could spend so much I time know, on this. But, but there's more. But there was one other thing in this particular section that I wanted to point out is that the robes and all the materials that are used for their out their the clothing for the priests are the same materials used for the tabernacle. Oh, and man. so it's got like it's the righteousness of God. They are clothed in that righteousness. Right. They are clothed in that holiness and set apart because they are carrying the very image that God sets up within the tabernacle. And even down to, uh, God says, wear underwear. Yeah. Like, he he makes provision for them to wear underwear, um, because, again, this isn't... Um, all, all the other religions of the world are using kind of sexual mm-hmm. ideas and things uh, in their worship. And yeah. God's like, no, that's not what we're doing. But uh, I will say, on a, a, like a side note, Yes. I don't know if you get a sense of this. In ministry, I, car- I carry some of these things. I've mm-hmm. learned to, mm-hmm. and I'm still learning. But, you know, for the people that we minister to, they're on my heart. They're on my shoulders. And, and I pray, you know, like there's yes, that yes, work yes, yes. for a pastor. But also, we are a kingdom of priests. And that's why the invitation, and again, we're looking at this through Christ. So I'm jumping the gun here. But, man. At least put on the turban, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, know, the belt of here, truth, right? the sword of the spirit, the, the shield of faith. Like the whole armor of God is given in a very real way to priests. And the idea is that we all become priests one day. Mm-hmm. God knows what he's doing. Also, it makes me think maybe being casual when worshiping God and wearing flip-flops, maybe that's not cool. And, uh, I mean, I know we have yeah, freedom now in yeah. Christ and we can fight it, but it's like, I don't know. You start to recognize there is a level of reverence that we might be missing in our context. And I'm not saying that suits 
necessarily are the right clothing. Right. It's how we dress up in our culture, I guess. Or, and we could all wear tuxedos to church. But it, I was saying to you earlier, it would be kind of fun. To, we all get like Lenin robes <laughs> when we come to church, but then cults have kind of stolen that idea and it would seem really weird. Yeah. And we're not all so familiar with the Old Testament. Anyway, but yeah. we move on. So we got to move on or we, else we'll spend too much time on Because it's this. even more exciting. 29 is <laughs> now. So that's just, we just got through like, the clothing. Yeah. Oh, but chapter 29 of Exodus, he starts to set apart the priests. Yeah, and, the actual person. And um, and so there's offerings made, there's a bull, there's two rams, and you need to be set apart because you're going to be interacting with the most holy God, the holy creator of the universe. And if you're not clean, um, you'll be... You can't approach God. Yeah, you can't. You'll And so... They set them apart. And the thing that jumped out to me was okay. um, you always wash. Here's the pattern I saw. Mm-hmm. There's washing. Then there's um, putting on clothes. Mm-hmm. And then there's anointing. And then you can eat from the sacrifice. And, and I'm, there's a I, meal, yeah. I'm just noticing like that washing is a huge part of this. Yeah. Water is a source of life. Water is the life. And they're wandering, they're wandering through the desert mm-hmm. and they have access now. God has provided water, not just for people to drink, but to be cleansed, but to worship God, to be washed. And of course, you can't get away from the idea of like the importance of baptism continues to grow in my mm-hmm. mind that you approach God after washing. The way you we ate a meal today and we, all, we washed our hands. Mm-hmm. It's like that simple, but that profound and beautiful and then Christ clothes you with his righteousness. His word is on your forehead. You're anointed by the Holy Spirit. You know, you're mm-hmm. set apart with a fragrance. And then, then you eat, like even the Lord's Supper. You're seeing these themes that Jesus does not eradicate anything from the law. He quite honestly fulfills it as the perfect high priest. And then I noticed, um, and then I'll let you talk for a second. Yeah, yeah, go for it. They lay hands on everything. Yes. So they're laying hands on the bull. Yeah. Before they kill it. Yeah, or as they're killing it. As they're killing it, because they're transferring, this touch is transferring the sin of the people that they're carrying on their shoulders, their heart, and in their mind. They're transferring it to this animal and whose blood will cover the law mm-hmm. on the mercy seat <clears throat> so that their sins are forgiven because the sins of the people have been transferred by the priest. Like, this is right. the need for a mediator, a broker. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then as they kill everything, there's, it seemed boring to me all my life, but realizing God says, burn all these inner parts. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is something I want. Burn all the parts because every other religion uses the liver and all these parts for divination, Mm -hmm. for trying to figure out the future. And this is very common in Greek and Roman history. I mean, you can even watch, um, Hercules, the Disney movie, and they don't show the innards, but they show the the oracle looking yeah. at something. And I know what it is, having mm-hmm. studied history. They're looking at the uh, the liver or the innards to figure out who's going to win the war. And God says, "Yeah, we're going to burn all those things." You don't need that. Yeah, you don't need I'm, that. Right? I'm talking to you. Yeah, like you don't need that stuff. So yeah, I love I love that uh, for the bull. There's a bull and two rams to consecrate uh, Aaron and his sons. And so the bull is the sin offering. And mm. so you burn the innards, you burn uh, the skin and the dung, like all the oh, unclean yeah, parts. The personal offering, yeah. You, you burn that outside of the camp because yeah. the sin is out. Like you're taking the sin and you're 
taking it outside of the camp. The flesh and the skin and the dung. Yeah. Which is funny, which is like what pastors, I think we handle the most for people. <laughs> yeah, and we got to take that outside the camp. Right. Um, and then... <laughs> Uh, and then you burn up the rest of the rest of it, the good, like the meat that you would actually eat. You burn all of that, but you burn that completely because that's set apart and it's a sweet aroma to God. It's a barbecue before God. And then, then you have the ram, which is this first ram, which is for the sin of the people. And then the second ram, which is the offering how this is the part where they finally partake. This is the part that where they actually eat Okay. the second ram. And so the rest of it's dedicated to God, but then they get choice portions of it and they're allowed to eat and eat a meal before God. And this is like, again, they are eating something that's been set apart and by eating it, you are becoming holy. And the Lord invites them to this meal with him where then you become holy by eating a meal with him. Yeah, so you burn the bull and the ram first and Lord eats and then you eat. And then, which is why the Pharisees were so mad at Jesus, like, why are you eating with sinners? Mm -hmm. Because you're becoming becoming unholy with them. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I was thinking too how the laying on the hands, it works the other way now. The sacrifice has already been made. Like for us yeah. in our ministry, yeah. we often lay hands on people when we want to pray because we're transferring the blessing of Christ now. The sacrifice has been given and yeah. we're transferring his sacrifice. We're transferring the whole the righteousness now. The righteousness of Christ onto people mm-hmm. instead of the sin of people onto something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the blood also cleanses us. It cleanses us from the law as it, I was thinking, I was confessing sin this morning and I was actually picturing what we read the other day. Yeah. Going, Lord, I can believe that you forgive me for being selfish because uh, you have splattered the blood of Christ on the mercy seat, which mm-hmm. contains the law of God. And that blood covers me from condemnation by the law. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I was starting to, and then, but as a priest, they go, um, did you catch the, the right ear, the right thumb, the big toe? Yeah, so they would put the, some of the blood. Because they consecrate the yeah, priest. Yeah, so Moses was to take some of the blood with his thumb and put it on the right ear the right thumb of on the hands of the priests and the the great toes of the right foot and realizing like it's symbolizing so that we could, the priest could hear the words of God right handle the things of God and walk into God's presence on the holy on ground home, holy ground right which Woo! is again Jesus it says as the perfect high priest those who have ears, let them hear. Mm-hmm. You know, like even the right tip of your ear. I mean, if you think about... Anointed by the blood so you can hear God. Otherwise you can't. Jesus and his sacrifice. He has the crown of thorns, which the blood is covering his ears. You have mm-hmm. his hands are pierced and his feet are pierced. Like, come his, on. The thumbs, the toes. Yeah. Okay. All it's right. all very excited because all of this allows, gives access to the altar yeah. and to the food of God. And so the wave offering is, you, did you have something about the wave offering? You kind of already said it. Oh, the wave offering, yeah, was where the portion that they were going to eat. Um, I never read this before. I never saw, I, I don't know if it's translated differently in other versions, but um, they would lift the food, the portion that they were going to eat, and they would lift it up before God. And it was called a wave offering before God because you would lift it up and then you dedicate it to God and then God gives it back to you and you eat it. Because by the law, this belonged to them, but you dedicate what is given to you, which made me think like for the Lord's Supper, when I'm consecrating the Lord's Supper before we partake of Mm -hmm. it, I'm definitely, I've I've heard and I've seen, I think you're supposed to lift it up and now I definitely know why. Um, It's an offering. Mm -hmm. There's another bit I liked here about... um, 
passing the garments on to the next generation. Yeah, that was and, really cool. And when you do, <clears throat> first of all, they were made skillfully so they could um, adjust. They adjusted, you know, and, but you would have to wear it for seven days. And then after you wore it for seven days, your priestly service began on the eighth day. Yeah. Already. It, the Bible says the eighth day. Yeah. So again, like God worked six days, he rested on the seventh, which rest mm-hmm. is Sabbath. But the eighth day is new creation. Mm-hmm. It's when God rules. It's the, it's the rest that we get to live in in the eighth day. And that's why we worship on Sundays. That's why Jesus um, anyway, rises okay. again on yeah. the eighth day. Yeah. It, it's so amazing. So good. Oh, and there is a, a verse we'll have to deal with where it says, Outsiders can't eat but must be washed before they eat holy food. Yeah. Setting up, I think, a historical precedent. This is where the church gets it where the order of events is be baptized, be washed, and then come to the Lord's table. Yeah. So we have to deal with that. Yes. Because I don't think we've always understood that properly. Myself. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe everyone listening has, but um, I <laughs> fully get it now, Lord. Um, and, then, and then within chapter 29, we're going to have to move on, but within oh, chapter 29, he even sets up a, a daily offering. There was an offering of a, a lamb... Uh, in the morning and in the evening. And it was followed, like, the offering came with bread, oil, and wine. Yeah. It was offered out with the lamb, morning and evening, every day. And this was to set apart the temple, this was or the tabernacle, so, and the altar. Like, the altar was considered a holy oh, object. And even if you you touched it, you were made holy. Right. And so you could touch it if you were already consecrated and set apart as holy. Yeah, but if you were not, you died. Well, and that's what's so amazing. The altar is holy. Whatever touches it, the, it's, the Bible says, whatever touches it becomes holy. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's our reading in New Testament today. I'm going to mix it real quick. That's fine. The lady with the issue of blood. Oh, you know tw- what? 12 years. Let's talk about, let's, let's say this. Save that. Okay. Save that. We'll talk about it. When, Stick around we're... for our New Testament reading because we're coming back to the altar. It is holy coming and amazing. Coming back to the altar. That's maybe the name of our next one. That's our next podcast. Um, <laughs> God, God will meet and speak at the ark and at the altar. Mm-hmm. And then he says to Moses, Israel will be sanctified by my glory. Mm. He sanctifies, he sets apart the tent and the altar. And he says, I'll dwell with you. You will be my people he says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. Yes. And at this point, again, there's only a limited amount of high priests who can go in, who yeah. can come in, and very few people can get into the Holy of mm-hmm. Holies. And it takes a lot of uh, setting apart and, and preparation. And so, again, it's amazing to think that God's whole plan is to create a kingdom of priests mm-hmm. where the Holy of Holies can actually dwell in us. Yeah. Okay. Oh, boy. There's so Chapter much. 30. 30. All right. So we got the altar of incense, oh, yeah. uh, which was to be in the tabernacle, I believe, in the holy part before the curtain. Yeah, it's it's being set up in front of um, kind of everything. Again, I, I do want to say here, everything has poles. Yeah. And I realize why it has poles yes, now. Yeah. Because when something's holy, and you're if you touch it and you're not holy, you're dead. You're dead. Which we know there is a story. Yeah, that we'll get to. But <sighs> it starts to make these... This explains a lot of the future stories. Oh, yeah. Because before, the future, like the stories that we would read elsewhere make no sense if you don't understand yeah. what God's doing here. And so the altar of incense, uh, on a very practical level... Let's keep it practical. ...offers um, 
a covering for the blood and <laughs> gore that is daily being have you ever offered. Just, have you ever walked into a room where a bunch of dudes have been, and you're like, whoa, kind of smells a little weird in here. Yes. Well, imagine a great pool of blood and blood being splattered and animals like dying yeah. and entrails being burned. Mm-hmm. I wonder what it smells like in there. Right. So on a practical level, God uh, gives him specific instructions on how to create a sweet smelling aroma. aroma before the Lord. And says, not only does it help practically, but this is the fragrance of prayers. Yeah. And it's the fragrance of people confessing their sins and being forgiven. Mm. And so we go before God to pray in a sp- because we're trusting him, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then we know from the rest of the Bible, I'm sorry, I just see so much, the work, it's blowing my mind, the work <laughs> of Jesus reading this. Jesus is a fragrance. Ephesians talks about he's the fragrant yeah. offering to the Lord. He is... Anyway, we pray to him. He makes atonement for us. He intercedes on our behalf, and there's this altar of incense. Yeah, and uh, again, that was a holy altar, and he would have to consecrate it uh, every year. The high priest would consecrate it. Um, and I think there was something else I wanted. Oh, the God's very specific about what kind of incense, yes. like what kind of smells he wants before him. And he says very clearly in this passage, which will come back very soon, is do not burn any unauthorized yeah. incense in front of me. Like, right. I have thought this through. I have smells that I like, and there's smells that offend me. And mm-hmm. do not do that. And I did pick up, like, and don't try to reduplicate or make a knockoff of this. Oh, yeah. Outside yeah. of the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. Like, don't try to confuse what happens in here as something that's commercial. Yeah, this is and for you can me. have at home. Yeah, this is for God. Um, then there's a census tax. Yeah. Which is another point of God being very clear Mm -hmm. that we'll know later in the story. This is broken. But um, it's the idea of everyone needs to give for this tent. Yeah. And they all give it, whether you're poor or rich, you give like a half shekel or Mm -hmm. something. And the whole point of it is is that you are taking care of the tent of meeting and it is to lead you to remember to make atonement. And it makes atonement for your life. Yeah, like you are giving, you are buying your life. Like you're, yeah. it's called a ransom for your life. Yeah. And so the idea of a census was not to, um, like, let's see how big we are. It yeah. was, we need to count. These are all lives that have been redeemed by our Lord. That need to, and we and want you to be covered by the blood. blood. Yes. So let us know who you are, so we can make atonement for you. Yeah. And then give us your half shekel. Um, so that we can kind of pay for it and take care of the guys who consecrate and do this work for you. Yeah, I know, it's so different. But then the census, of course, is used as a means of power, Mm -hmm. uh, false power, to feel good about yourself. And uh, yeah, and this actually, God says, it keeps you from plagues. Because when you don't do this or you don't pay it, Yes. You open yourself up to breaking faith with God. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't pay it and you're like, I don't want to be atoned for, is what you're saying. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't need and plagues. And, and, uh, yeah. Oh, I man. don't need a blood covering. Mm-hmm. No thanks. Well, now you're not under the protection of God. And Woo. I was thinking about like people, you know, asking for offerings and money. And mm-hmm. I guess my new question is instead of trying to defend and say the Bible says give, give. My questions now is just why don't you want to give? Mm-hmm. Like why don't you just think about why you don't want to give and deal with that, and then maybe we can talk about that. Okay. Okay. Lots the bronze basin. Oh, man. Okay, so this was, again, he's breaking down, like, the part of the consecration is you need to be washed. And 
And for the priests, they required a daily washing. They had to wash their hands and their feet, which in the desert get dirty. Uh, No matter what you're doing, those are the parts of your body that get the most use. And to be able to handle the things of God, you have to be washed. And it quite clearly says... uh, It's verse 21. Yeah. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. And then he says it'll be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. Um... So I think washing... <laughs> I think water keeps us from dying. And I think that's why in Titus, the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, baptism, mm. wash, wash, be washed. Don't approach the Lord without being... Like, approach the Lord and then be washed. Know yeah. where the Lord's at and then be washed. Uh, Jesus washed before his ministry started. He was baptized. He was oh cleansed as the high priest. Okay. You gotta stop. You gotta stop. Okay. Uh, and then we have the very specific details of how to make the oil, how to make the incense. And again, this is not to be used for daily, like, common use. This is only for God and it's his a, things. It's a distinct smell. And you think about the anointing oils and the incense. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a distinction we mm-hmm. have, you know. I, again, I keep looking at it through through Jesus. But it is hard not to. Okay, here this, is, this jumped out to yep. me on verse... Chapter 30, verse 32, uh, he's talking about the oil, the Mm -hmm. anointing oil. And he says, It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. This reminds me of a story in the New Testament. What? Uh, When Mary (gasps) pours the anointing oil over Jesus, and Jesus receives it. And, And this is kind of also a reason why like everyone kind of reacts like what is happening you you just gave me a little chills it shall be verse 32 it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person well she got that right (laughs) and judas missed it (laughs) she poured out this oil on not an ordinary person on the son of god she recognized the son of god and recognized what the oil was for and poured it out on him regardless of the price (laughs) for the atonement of sin. And wouldn't you do that to save your life? Yeah, here's here's the perfume. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Woo! Whatever compound or anything like it who puts... Yeah, because it says, whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. She was the outsider. Yeah. She put it on no ordinary person. (sighs) So good. Praise God. All right, so... um, Exodus, man. We are getting into it, and I love it. And so God makes very clear, don't try to make a knockoff perfume here. Right. And, and you know, actually, I just had a thought. Okay, go for it. Where um, Peter meets, like, I think his name's Simon the Magician or Simeon the Magician. Uh, Yes. He tries to get a knockoff perfume. Of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he tries to say, how do you have that Holy Spirit power? I want that. I'll buy it from you. Yeah, I'll buy it from you. I'll do whatever. And it's like, man, you can't reproduce this on your own. You can't just... Yeah. This is holy. Yeah, maybe that's not as powerful as the lady anointing Jesus. That's okay. But I feel good about it. Good. I'm glad. All right, Exodus. All right, well, one second. I just want to praise God. Like this tabernacle, he's doing all this in the desert. And it's a ridiculous commitment <laughs> to people who don't have a home, who are wandering through the desert and are in total dependence upon him. And the stuff they're building it with is all the stuff that they plundered from the Egyptians. It's all Egyptian <laughs> fine linen and scarlet and gold and bronze. Like, they got all that. God is good, y'all. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so good. and so anyway, these chapters, Exodus 27 through 30, have become alive for us. 
And I am going to, I want to try to remember. I mean, these. maybe next year we just spend our entire time on the law. Well, it makes me want to read. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's a lot of references to Hebrews and the kind of high priest that Jesus is. Yeah. And well, we'll I, get there eventually. Because, yeah, we start to go into, because the next readings will be more story based, I can tell. Yes. And so, that's okay. man. All right, that was cool. Let's go Woo. into our New Testament reading. All right. Our New Testament reading is Mark chapter 5, verse 21, through chapter 6, verse 29. Now you can tell your story. Well, Jesus gives the authority, because remember, Mark is all about authority. Mm-hmm. And now he says to his disciples, I've always loved this, and this is why you're with me right now, Matt, is because Jesus, in his structure of ministering to the world says, go out to... Wait, b- no, you're jumping the gun. Oh, here. I'm Mark 6. That's Sorry. 6. I was We're going two chapter by Chapter 5. Chapter 5. 21. Oh, 5. Oh, again, Jesus is on a boat. So now uh, there's another yeah, great so crowd. He's okay. coming from Decapolis uh, from the other side of the like where the Gentiles were, and he's coming back after... The demoniac. The demoniac, and now he That's lands right. on the shore. And as soon as he lands on the shore, it's very different from when he landed oh, on the shore of the Gentiles. Okay. Yeah. He lands back on the shore in Galilee, and crowds of people are already like, That's Jesus. Yeah, this, this story is, is layered, but I, f- I feel like it's layered beautifully. Mm-hmm. You have Jairus, mm-hmm. who comes from the synagogue, a leader in the synagogue, mm-hmm. and says, Jesus, my daughter is sick to the point of death. I know you can just touch her. Will you touch her? Yes. And Jesus says, okay. So he gets the understanding of the laying on of hands. The laying the on the hands. The handling of yes. holy things. Right. Lay hands on her. Then, again, there's a massive crowd yeah. because Jesus is uh, he is the hot item mm-hmm. to be healed. And everybody wants to be around him. And, um, and then meanwhile, so that's my word. Meanwhile, there is a lady who has been kind of ostracized because she has issue of blood. Now, coming out of the law, when there's issue of blood, you need to go outside the camp. You need to go to places you're unclean for a specified amount of days. Yes. Usually two or three days. Well, if you have an issue of blood... It was actually a week. Was it a week? Okay, sorry. We haven't gotten to that part in Exodus yet or Deuteronomy. It was a while. It was a while. Yeah. Yeah. In Leviticus, you know, it clearly plays this out. Well, if you have an issue of blood for 12 years... You never get a chance to be clean. Mm-hmm. You can never go to the temple. You and, can never approach the things of God. And she's done everything that we would have done. She, it says she's gone to doctors. She's used all her money, everything. She is at her wit's end. And she decides, I'm just going to try to touch Jesus. The thing that Jarius believes will save his daughter and says, come to my daughter. This woman is desperate and goes to Jesus. And she says, if I touch him, I think I have faith. I hope I'll be made well. So she touches him. And is instantly healed. Mm-hmm. So then the response is, she's trembling, and she's full of fear. Because Jesus turns around and goes, who touched me? And then everyone's like, how could you possibly tell who touched you? We are being, we're like in the middle of a mosh pit. Yes. And someone touched you, really? And uh, he's like, yes. And then she was scared. And I finally realized why, yeah. why, why was, she's scared. Why was she scared? Because I just read Exodus 29 and uh-huh. 30. And if you touch the holy altar or the holy anything, you die. Yeah, and you're not clean. She was making Jesus not clean. She was ceremonially unclean. And she touched him. Yeah. Like even, you mentioned this me to me earlier, uh, in a different conversation about like the lepers at least always stood far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was as unclean basically. As a leper. As a leper. 
and she came up and touched him. And so she was scared. Like, I just contaminated him. Mm-hmm. I just made him unclean. Mm-hmm. I'm in trouble. But I'm healed, so whatever. I'll take the trouble. But she was scared. And that's when Jesus, so beautiful, so kind, so gospel, Yeah, says daughter. He calls her a daughter. He doesn't get mad at her. And he says, um, what does he say? Daughter, it's, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I mean, that's beautiful. So now we're at a point in the story where the holiness of God has taken on flesh, come to us, and we can behold his face, we can touch him and not die, but be made whole. We become holy. Yes. But see, in the past, if you touched it, you would become holy too, which meant you had to get out of the dirty body. You died, Mm -hmm. and now you're with God. Mm -hmm. Now we touch him, and we're healed in our bodies here. (laughs) Jesus is better than we can imagine. He is... Bigger and stronger uh, and more glorious than we ever comprehended. Yes. And this story, and then immediately that happens, while that happens, and everyone's going, what? Because they don't fully understand he is the mercy seat. He yeah. is the altar. He is. Um, Jarius comes back and they say, oh, the daughter died. So it's contrasting this kind of faith. Like, don't bother. You know, don't bother now. Mm-hmm. She's dead. You, you know, you can't do anything. Yeah, just leave him. Your trick won't work. Yeah. But then Jesus has another great line. I think it's a verse worth, you know, if you're going to tattoo something, this might be a great (laughs) tattoo. Uh, If you have Jesus saying it, uh, do not fear, only believe. Don't fear, only believe. Mm -hmm. Well, that turns out believing in Jesus is the hardest thing to do on your own in this world. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. Like you Mm -hmm. need to, it's hard to believe for some reason. And, oh, Okay, here's yes. here's the other thing Go. that just hit me. I saw the oh light my bulb. goodness! The light bulb just turned on. <laughs> Go, Matt. Okay. Go, little Matt. So, Jarius is from the synagogue, right? Yes. He knows the law. He is ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean, yes. most likely. He's asking. He's inviting Jesus to his house so he can touch his daughter, who is at this moment clean ceremonially, but now she's dead. She's not clean, and you cannot, within the Old Testament law, you cannot touch dead things right. and remain clean. So now she's dead. But Jesus has just been touched by someone who's not clean. So maybe Jairus doesn't want her, him in his house anymore. Yeah. And, but then, and then it's even more of a ridiculous ask to ask him to come to the house with death in it. Yeah. But Jesus goes anyways. And okay. So then he shows up and yes. they got the whole morning crew there weeping and making a big scene. And then Jesus, because Mark is infatuated with the authority, mm-hmm. he's stronger than any king or any mm-hmm. Caesar. Jesus says, why are you making a commotion? She's not dead. She's sleeping. Like, to Jesus, death is like waking someone from sleep. Yeah. It also amazes me, too, at the... So these are professional mourners. Like they would hire right. yeah. They would hire professionals to come and wail. And the quick turnaround, like, they, they got those professional mourners there quick. I think so. I don't know how far away it was. was, but... Yeah. I mean, interesting. Yeah, it's probably a business. You yeah. Know, I mean, we're there. <laughs> um, and so they laugh at him and yeah. mock him. And then, but he grabs his, his inner three, the mother and the father, and he walks in to the house, into the room, and closes themselves off. Yeah. It's a very intimate situation. He wants his uh, three closest disciples there, mm-hmm. and he shows a little bit of his divine nature, and it's... Man, the Word of God mm. is powerful. The Word of God creates something out of yeah. nothing. And he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. 
Yeah, and again, he touches her. Yeah. He takes her hands as she's dead, touches an unclean thing. And makes it clean. And makes it clean. So he can touch your dirty heart and dirty mind and dirty hands and dirty feet and make them clean. And then she gets up, and then he tells her, tells him, <laughs> oh, don't, he says again, don't say anything, but then give her some food. Yeah, because she eating was, is a eat. sign of life, right? Yeah, like you, that, and she probably just is hungry. <laughs> I know, he, she's hungry. Oh, man. Wow. Crazy. I mean, I, after reading that, it's just, we have a savior who can overcome all uncleanliness and yeah. death. And so this is why, um, for me... I have to be reminded, never stop asking for healing. Mm-hmm. Just never stop asking. God can choose to heal or not heal, and, and it's how it happens. We just trust the Lord. But there's one thing we know for sure. You can keep asking in Jesus' name. Don't ever stop. Well, there's a hometown visit, as they say it on The Bachelorette, and this gets pretty <laughs> rough. You know, if you ever watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette, there's a few people who make it to that level of the show and usually out of four or five people, the hometown visit goes awful, and it ruins the relationship because they see how crazy the family is. Yeah. Well, Jesus' family, the hometown visit goes woefully wrong. Yes. And uh, it's pretty bad. He does his normal thing. He goes and teaches in the synagogue, Mm -hmm. so that's where he starts off. Which apparently, he probably, it seems, at least in this story, that he had never done that. No. Up until this point. Not in Nazareth. Not in Nazareth. And so, yeah. And they are astonished. And they're like, how does he have such wisdom? How does he claim to have these works? And they almost quite literally say he's a construction worker. Yeah. We knew him as a construction. He worked with stone. And, he, and, and he's a rabbi now? Yeah. He wasn't like a romantic carpenter. You know, we kind yeah. of imagine like the cool carpenter guy. I mean, he's building things with stone mm-hmm. and with wood. Yeah. And like, like hey, he's a construction worker. He made my house. Right. And his brothers, and he has sisters. Jesus has two sisters that are mm-hmm. named. And his brothers don't believe at this point. James and Jude will later become part of the movement. But his family um, has already said he's crazy. They've yeah. already accused him of being yeah. unstable. And, uh, and so they are offended by him coming back home, mm-hmm. acting as though he's some kind of great prophet. Right. And he doesn't take offense at them. And he just quite simply says a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And it's kind of a sad, it's just sad to me that um, he could not do any mighty works there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. So he healed a few sick people, but he marveled at their unbelief. And then he went about, he went about um, the village's teaching. Okay, mm-hmm. so we were talking about this earlier. And again, there's this real idea of when Jesus is only teaching and not healing, it depends on who his audience is. Yeah. So when we're hard-hearted or closed-minded, you know, and we're unwilling to think that anything can happen, Jesus says, I'm not, look, I'm not going to force heal you. Mm -hmm. And it's just sad. Yeah. He doesn't do a whole I lot. I do wonder, um, I do wonder sometimes our ministries look more like this sad story. We go yeah. about the village teaching. That's all, that's what Jesus does here. He, he heals a few people, but then he just goes through the village teaching. That's all he could really do because of their unbelief. Because they don't, they're not asking. No one's asking. Right. 
And that's the deal is I think we are in a good place. If not, we don't have to become all about healing and all about that. But I think we always need to be in a position like I'm sick. I need help. God, will you help me? Yeah. And when you stop thinking that God can or he will or hmm. you deserve it, then he, it, he can't help you. He says, pray in my name, ask in the name of Jesus. But he still taught them regardless yeah. and yeah, he, he still, still died for his them word and yeah i don't know it's a it's a sobering passage and following this sobering passage well you we, just can you you contrast it with jarius and the woman people are like you can save me mm-hmm. crowds and then he goes home and that happens in our own They're homes like, what are you doing here yeah you you think you're something no i don't know why we just who do you think you are yeah <laughs> so weird Ugh. well then he sends out the 12. This is what I started to say. Yes. Which is, uh, I love this model that Jesus sets up. Uh, one time someone asked me, it, they, they actually said to me, it's weird that you're hanging out with me. Like you should move on and do something oh. else. And I was trying to explain. me. Me. Matt. Yeah, Matt. Like they were like, why is Matt like with you all the time? Mm-hmm. And I was trying to explain this very principle in Mark chapter six, verse seven which is Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. Yeah. That you're stronger when there's two of you there. You know, mm-hmm. you're not as easily picked off or confused. It's just wisdom. Yeah. But also it's the model of God. He sends them out to go preach, to exercise demons, and to heal in the name. And we see this even with Paul. Like Paul, when he does his ministry, he always has someone along with him. Right. Like it's just helpful to yeah. have... Like, we were not made to do this alone. Right, exactly. And so even, like, militarily, you don't go out off on your own. No, you always you, have a... you got to have someone who's got your back. You have your buddy. But, uh, but what's really amazing here is he transfers his authority. Yes. So this is chapter 6 now. Jesus is... Mark has already shown the authority of Jesus over everything. Mm-hmm. Death itself. Now mm-hmm. he's going, guess what, guys? This is not just me doing it. I'm giving this authority to you. I have the authority to give it to you. I yeah. can deputize you. Yeah. For real. Yeah. And I want you to grow into it. So go out there and uh, you're going to, what did he charge them? Don't take anything on the journey. No bread, no bag, no money. Just wear sandals and, like, and not, uh, don't even put on two tunics, which is scary because they just saw the reception in his hometown. Yeah. And his, you know, and John the Baptist is about to get killed. Um, but go carry out the ministry um, of John the Baptist and Jesus, where you preach, repent, and then cast out demons and anoint with oil. Yeah. And we just Holy read about anointing oil, which is cool because we just read about <clears throat> oil in chapter 29, 30 of Exodus. Mm-hmm. Anoint, set people apart, make them a sweet smelling sacrifice to the Lord. So this is the ministry that they're called out to do two by two. And if anyone rejects you, Jesus knows people are going to reject it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be a surprise. He says, if they don't listen to you, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like what we were talking about with the tax. Right. That if you don't pay it, you're saying, I don't want to be covered by that. Well, Mm -hmm. then dust it off. And that now, now the glorious message of God coming to earth is a judgment and not a salvation to you. So that's the judgment side of it. I mean, it's either heads or tails. If you're going to flip a coin, it's heads or tails. And uh, for those who repent and can receive the work of God, it is salvation. And then just to show the political climate that they're up against now, we have the beheading of John the Baptist. Yeah, so we have uh, Herod who, again, he is from the line of Esau. So he's like an Edomite, and now he's 
sort of ruling over the Jews, which is kind of a uh, slap in their face. Well, it's a puppet <clears throat> set up by yeah, the Romans, right? By the Romans, yes. Like, monitor and manage this area for us. Because it is on the far reaches of the Roman Empire. And that's the genius, I remember in history class, um, history major here, the genius of the Roman Empire was that they allowed for indigenous religions and things. Mm-hmm. They kept things in place, but everyone knew it was under the authority right. of Rome. But we're going to let you do that. So then the normal people saw Herod as a traitor who's yes. working with the Romans yes. instead of fighting against them. Yes. And so what happens, Matt? Yeah, so Herod begins to hear about Jesus, and he begins to have a freak-out moment because he had just killed John the Baptist... And he's now thinking, he's hearing about this Jesus character right after he kills John and thinks, oh no, John just rose back from the dead. This is bad. Um, And so Mark begins to, I think he builds it out a little more than the other guys. Yeah, because Uh, he's interested in political power and 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 authority. Yeah, Yeah, authority. There it is. So uh, he kind of builds out the relationship that Herod had with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was very vocal against Herod's relationship, his marriage to his current wife because Herodias, his wife, had been married to Herod's brother. And she had divorced Herod's brother and Herod had divorced his wife so that they could be together. And John is very clearly like, uh, in our law, man, you are committing adultery. Like that is not right. Because these are Jew he's a Jewish person. So like Like, he should be at least pretending to obey the law. Not to mention Herodias is marrying her uncles or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. So Herod and uh, Philip was were brothers. Were, were half brothers, and Herodias was their niece. Yeah. And so again, it's like weird incestual relationships, and then um, but Herodias sounds like, sounds like politics to me. Yeah. So Herod is um, he actually is kind of hearing the things of John, and is kind of receiving it, kind of likes him. And recognizes him as a prophet. So he doesn't want any harm to befall him, but he knows his wife hates him. So he imprisons John, but he imprisons him in this, like, his kind of, like, nice little palace area that's far away to kind of protect him from Herodias. It's just interesting. He's, like, trying to protect John from his own wife. But he ends up even failing to do that. Right. So Herodias comes up with this plan. She sends in her daughter to dance for Herod and all of his uh, leaders or buddies. Soldier. Yeah, I mean... It's, like, kind of gross. It's a total corrupt situation. And we'll prove it to you by how the scene ends. But the idea is that she danced. So his stepdaughter dances in front of him suggestively. And then he is pleased by it and says, I'll give you half the kingdom, which is a joke because... He's under the rule of the Romans yeah, and doesn't have he, that authority. He can't do that. But she asks for the one thing he doesn't really want to give. Which is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Again, showing that the political powers are really under the rule of... Popular, little, popular vote. Popular or, vote, little girls. Yeah. I mean, they have no power. Yeah. She danced suggestively, he made a stupid promise, and now he's under her authority. He has to do something against his own will. These are the powers... The corrupt powers versus what's happening to Jesus. And so um, here's how we know it's really a gross scene. She asks for his head on a platter. So at this party, a human head is brought out on a platter. While they're all eating and feasting. And And they're like reveling in that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, I know it's easy for people to criticize Christian culture. But seriously, 
do we ever think about what the world is doing? It's disgusting. And they don't have like some kind of magical, oh, we all love humanity deep down. No, we're totally depraved and broken to the point <laughs> where we can put heads on a platter uh, for a birthday present. Yeah. So that's just gross. But that's why the authority of Jesus is way better. And so it ends. The disciples heard of it. They came back, took his body. Um, and bury it. And so the disciples are carrying out the message of John, which is repent, and the mm-hmm. message of Jesus. So it's um, basically their future ministry looks like a lot of rejection and violent hostility. <laughs> That's what they are That's running into. So we can't, we can't get too angry at them when they're getting really scared or it's hard to believe because the slightest bit of rejection or violent hostility, uh, we pretty much all crumble. But what we know now is that the resurrection of Jesus cannot be overcome by any of that. And that's the good news. Yeah. Man. A lot of stuff there. Let's go to our beautiful proverb today. Are we going to do proverbs and not psalm? Oh, the psalm 24 is so good about... It is really good, especially in light of the Exodus passage. Can we do this? Let me say something about the proverb. Let's, yeah, let's sum up the proverb. Because if you are reading along with us, this can be kind of like a... Oh, what? Or, uh, I don't know what to think about this. No, the proverb to but me it's is... it's really cool. It's a warning against adultery. Yes. And it's just, adultery is just a bad idea um, on a lot of different reasons, for a lot of different reasons. But there's this really, I think, pretty, I'll read it. You get ready for the psalm, because I think yeah, you're yeah, just yeah, going to yeah. read most it, of that it. psalm. But uh, Proverbs 5, and uh, let me just read, um, yeah gets pretty, if you read the proverb, it gets almost explicit. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, here we go. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace at the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. I just like the idea of, for those who have, are married, man, delight in that young woman you married. Mm-hmm. Let that fill you and be intoxicated with that love, and just know that all the other uh, paths, especially sexual temptations with other women, is a snare it's just great folly, and um, it's, it'll, the cords of sin, it's like um, seaweed. It'll entangle you and hold you under, man. Mm-hmm. But delight in your wives today. And then I want to read Psalm 24, parts of it, and just keep in mind the Exodus passage. They're at the mountain of the Lord. They're receiving all of these beautiful rites on how to be clean with God. And here we have David giving a very poetic uh, psalm, a song about this. This this is great. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. 
Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. See you next time.